Hello, welcome back to Burgers, Beers and Books. My name is Ben Hobson and this is the podcast where I interview your favourite authors about their favourite books. And this month, this month, I'm so stoked. Uh, Thank you so much for being a part of last month's where I interviewed uh, Grant Eisen. That was a really cool chat and the response has been really great. Love hearing feedback from you guys about um, the episode. So it was really awesome to see just the great response I got on that interview. Uh, This month we have Sarah Bailey. Sarah Bailey and I had our first books actually released in the same month on the same day. So we're sort of old friends now and it was awesome to chat with Sarah. I haven't seen Sarah obviously due to restrictions with borders and things of that nature for, for a long time. Just, you know, the same situation all of us are in. And it was really cool to sit down and have a good old chat about one of Sarah's favorite books, which uh, I think again, given the circumstances, is a really, really relevant text. So it's an awesome chat, and I'm really glad to be here talking with Sarah. Hope you'll enjoy it. As always, make sure you hit us up on all the socials. I'm at Ben Lee Hobson, that's L-E-I-G-H, on Twitter, or you can find me on Instagram. If you just type in benhobson.net, you'll find all my socials. But I love hearing feedback from you guys, and I would love, you know, as we're entering into a new year, if you can believe that, would love to hear about what authors you'd love me to interview, uh, what books you'd love us to talk about. If you if you have any questions for anybody, I'd love to hear from you guys, so make sure you hit us up. But other than that, let me get out of the way so you can hear me have a chat with Sarah. Um, and I know it's supposed to be beers, but I, I, I have wine, not beer. Oh, tell me, if, no, this is, this is, the idea when I started was, I my favorite thing to do was sit down and talk with friends about our favorite books. And I wanted to sort of replicate that on podcast land. And so wine and beers, and I actually had a pie for dinner. I'm always bad with the burger part, but. Beautiful. Yeah, so tell us about the wine you're having. Oh, so um, my wine is a um, Pinot Grigio, I believe. It's nothing very fancy. It's um, organic wine. Apparently, I'm not even really sure. I'm not really sure what that means, actually, but it sounds a bit healthier. So I got it does. That. Yes, they just um, throw organic at the yeah, front, and we feel good about it. Yeah, just like happy grapes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like nice and crisp. So it's not really summer down here in Melbourne, but it's kind of I'm embracing the summer wine vibe. So that's that's where we're at. You're sort of like <laughs> fast forwarding to summer with your wine choice. I see. I'm having a, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I've got this beer, which is, I actually shouted out these guys last time I did this. They're called Your Mates Brewing and they're on the Sunshine Coast and this is called a Larry. So I don't know whether you can see old Larry there, but it's really good. It's like a, it's a, what is it? What do they call them? I'm so bad. Like I'd run a podcast with beers and I don't know what I'm doing. Pale Ale. It's a pale ale. There you go. Um, yeah. Well, I don't really drink much beer, but um, yeah, that sounds that sounds good, and I like the design of the can. So very it's very good. Sunshine Coast, eh? Very and it's Sunshine almost, Coast. It's, good artwork. Yeah, nice artwork big, it's a big thing with beers and stuff, artwork and things like that. Um, yeah. So we're here today. I'm very excited to talk to you. We're old. We're old pals, you and I. We we had our debut novels come out at the same time. We back did. in the back when we were both much younger, it feels like. Is that just me? Like, do you feel twenty years older than than you were four years I ago? Feel, oh, like more like thirty five years older at least. But yes, definitely much older. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah, we got to sort of you know we got to speak on different things and sit meet each other a few times, which was really cool. Um, but you've just released your fourth book, which is very exciting. The housemate. How's that all been going? Uh, it's been really good. Um, it was a lockdown book, so it definitely felt different from the other three books that I've had. Um, I've done all of the publicity and chats and everything uh, from the comfort of my lounge room, which mm-hmm. sounds kind of sounds nice, but is you know a little bit kind of um, boring, I suppose. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's been. It's been fine and it's been, you know, nice and I guess 
some of the benefit of being in lockdown and releasing a book is that I could just click onto a Zoom call at the end of a work day or, um, you know, take a, a phone call during lunch break and do an interview. So it's kind of been convenient, I guess. It hasn't yeah. felt as, like, disruptive and all-consuming as some of the other book kind of tour things have been in the past. But at the same time, I mean, I think such a nice part of writing a book is getting to talk to people about the book and, yeah. you know, meeting like meeting booksellers and going into bookshops and I haven't even really seen the book in a bookshop yet. So, Aww. yeah, it's, yeah, which I know it sounds really sad, but. Um, I've I, seen it in a bookstore, you know, I, I saw I it. I kind of. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, because yeah, so, I'm on... in Melbourne, so we haven't <laughs> retail been open yet, but. um. Oh, look, I, I guess I was kind of expecting that this possibly would happen. So I, I guess I was kind of quite prepared for a lockdown kind of book release. And I, I'm, I feel lucky that this wasn't my first book because I think that yeah. would have been much harder. Um, but, yeah, it's been okay. Like the, it's been so nice getting feedback from people. You know, You know what it's like when you release a book and you just genuinely don't know if people are going to dislike it or um, yeah, for sure. it's weird or, you know, like just because I feel like you just get so unable to have a proper sort of objective point of you view can't. on your own It's writing. absolutely impossible. You cannot. Yeah. So I really, and I felt, I wasn't nervous. Like I, I'm pretty good at, I don't really feel nervous about books coming out. It's more just like a, um, like a kind of an acceptance that people might not like it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sort of like, <laughs> if they don't like it, they don't like it. But I was like a little bit uh, conscious that people might not like this book. I don't know why. I just sort of thought it was different from maybe the other books I've written or something. And so I've been quite surprised that people seem to um, have responded really well to it. And mm, that's good. Yeah, it's been nice. It's been really nice. Um, that's yeah, yeah it's but still, I'm looking forward to, to coming back on. Yeah, getting, yeah, and then meeting. I mean, you should next year, right? I mean, we're hopeful that next year and then hopefully some writers' festivals and things will open up and we'll get to do all that thing again, which was always part of the joy, I think. Um, yeah, we had, well, I think there was the, the Yarra Valley Writers' Festival was like really awfully cancelled at the 11th hour, you know, oh. just before the latest lockdown and that that was hard for I mean it must have been awful for the event organizers but um there was a whole bunch of us that were you know looking forward to catching up and whatever so that's yeah that felt a bit um that was a bit of a shame but um yeah, yeah I think 2022 will be different so yes let's hope um and now yeah because you've sort of with the new book and I have to confess there I'm really sorry I haven't read it yet it's on top of my list I've been swamped with, you know, how, you know, when you're author and you get sent a bunch of books, like I've just been doing lots of reading. Um, but yours is next on my pile of actually wants to read but doesn't have to read books, if that makes sense. <laughs> it makes total sense. And <laughs> honestly, like never, ever apologise because it's really, it's never that, um, it's never ever that I don't want to read someone's book or that, you know, I yeah. don't want to get to it. And, but it's it can just be difficult with different deadlines and timings and all that sort of stuff. So it can, yeah. yeah, it can be. Yeah, but but you, I get that. But you you've you've left um you've left Gemma behind. So that must be the that feeling that you're describing, where you know this main character you've had through three full novels, and now you've done this. It's like a sidestep a little bit. Is that right? Like I, just judging by the tone yeah. and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's completely, um, completely different. So I think maybe that's part of the reason why I was a bit like, oh, you know, maybe people won't like this book because um, it's just a brand new character and a brand new, you know, world. Um, but I, yeah, I liked it. I'm kind of, I'm glad I, I'm glad I um, stepped away and did something different. I think now that I look back, I'm really, you know, I'm really glad to have done that. Mm. And it was fun. I think it was fun not having any of the um, shackles, I guess, yeah, of yeah. Uh, that world. But at the same time, like, I like both, I think, maybe now. So, um, I, you know, I do sort of like the idea of writing more in Gemma's world because I just feel like I kind of know that in a different way. Like, it is it is definitely like stepping back into something that feels more familiar and obviously you still got to write a new story. 
and figure out like a whole bunch of stuff. But you do sort of, it's like you've got your bearings in that world yeah, a bit more. So you, a bit more comfortable. Yeah, there's something about it. Yeah, more comfortable, more familiar, just sort of like sort of know some of the parameters or like someone said once, you know, you know the playpen that you're sort of playing in and you, yeah. you kind of can navigate your way around. So, yeah, but I think um, it was definitely really fun just having that complete, like complete free reign to just do whatever. Um, I, like I did enjoy that. And, yeah, there's some fun characters. I love creating characters. It's, you know, my favourite part of writing, I think, is the characters and the dialogue. So, yeah, it was fun dreaming up new people and making yeah. them say fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the perfect life of any writer, right? Um, but talking about yeah. that, let's introduce the book here because I feel like you're sort of talking a lot about parts of what makes this book so good. Um, so the book that you've chosen to talk about today is called Station Eleven, and it's a book by Emily St. John Mandel, which is one of the best author names I think I've ever heard in my life. Um, but this is a book. Actually, you know what? What? Why have you chosen this book? You know, obviously, when I ask, I say, what, what book would you like to talk about? There's so many different things in this book that I found really appealing and especially relevant, which we can get to as well. But, yeah, why is this the book you've chosen? And then, I guess, what's your connection to it? So I only read Station Eleven last year, so I read it in 2020. Um, I really? It was released. Yeah. Oh so man! It's, it's a new, <laughs> it's a new favorite book for me. Um, I, I think it came out in 2014, so it's not actually that old anyway. No. Um, but yeah, I read, it, I read it last year, and I just felt like so affected by that book and it it is about a global pandemic so yes spoiler alert (laughs) but it's right like right from the get-go um you find out it's about a global pandemic it's the first thing that Um, happens yeah yeah and I did I did read it because um someone I think it was someone on Twitter had been talking about it and had said that you know it was a pandemic book and um I had started reading The Plague, which a friend of had lent me. Hmm. And, you know, it's an amazing book. But I was struggling to get into it. It's really, it's written, you know, in a very sort of old-fashioned way. And I, and I just, I'd pick it up and read a few pages and I was just finding it hard to kind of have momentum with that book. Yeah. And someone had mentioned Station Eleven to me. Maybe it was on a podcast, actually. And I think, this sounds really silly, but I think I had heard about this book before and gotten it really confused with um, Matthew Riley's Ice Station. (laughs) (laughs) And so I kind of in my head was like, oh, no, I don't don't think that that is a book that I'm, you know, going to sort of hunt down particularly. I'm sure it's great, but I just, I don't know. Yeah, wasn't your thing. With (laughs) with the station thing. Yeah. And in my mind I was like, oh, it's something to do with snow and, you know, whatever. Like it's not, it's just not calling to me particularly. And then someone was like, no, 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 Station Eleven is like about a global pandemic. And I was like, oh, I think that's a different book. So I, I would like to. <laughs> where's the, where's like the to ice read. in there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, because my copy is also like it's white. So it oh, yours is yeah. cooler. I've got yeah, this so one, I which thought, is a bit weird. Look at mine. Like the cover. Yeah, I've seen that one. I've seen that one. But yeah, I think because my book was white, I had seen it and thought, oh, yeah, it's about snow. And snow so that, and it, ice. That was oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes um, sense. But someone someone said, um, no, no, it's this amazing book about a global pandemic. You know, you should read it. And this was probably, I reckon, maybe April last year. So, you know, Melbourne was going into lockdown. Things were feeling pretty real, high stakes, scary. And I was, yeah. like everyone else, I think, just a bit, you know, what what's going to happen? Like, is this actually going to be the start of the end of the world or how how is this all going to play out? Um, and so I bought the book and... I just, I found it to be not necessarily, I wouldn't say it's the easiest book to read. Like it's quite different. I think its structure is unusual. Yeah. It has like an odd, like I feel like it's got a really odd cadence to it and mm. I don't even know what I mean when I say that, but it's just, it's uneven. It's not necessarily structured in a way that you feel 
like yeah. you're in safe hands exactly like you do kind of go hang on are we which perspective are we going to flip into next and there's something kind of old-fashioned and otherworldly about it I think as yes. well I was going to say to you right. like it, it feels really like to yeah. me like that word is fragmented like it felt really and it didn't feel like it felt like we were just sort of dipping in and out and there's some sort of cohesion yeah. to it but at the same time it's not something that we're conscious of. Like, I'm like, why am I reading this radio interview here? Why am I doing this? But she's yeah. so authoritative. I felt like I was in safe hands. But at the same time, yes. I was sort of on the edge. I'm like, where is it? What is this? Who is this person? Why am I back in time with Arthur? And it's very yeah, clever exactly. that way. It's very, it's like, it's very splintered, I think. Mm. Um, but part of me kind of felt like maybe because it's about a world that's completely fallen apart, it's kind of like no wonder it just feels a little bit like you get what you get, you know, like you kind of, <laughs> you're sort of being thrown around these different yeah. time zones, people, and it's it's just you're lucky to be getting the scraps that you're getting kind of thing. It's weird. I'm trying to make um, sense of the world, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think so. And, yeah, but I just... um. I mean, I do love a dystopian um, world. Like, mm. I really enjoy end Me of too. world books. Me too. Yeah, there's, there's something so fascinating by the whole concept of, well, what would I do? I think that's what it comes down to, really. Like, um, I've actually just bought my eldest kid, the John Marsden Tomorrow When the World Began books um, for his upcoming birthday. And uh, that's like, awesome. I'm, I'm, that was one of the ones I read as <laughs> a sorry. kid. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm so hoping that he is going to like them because I just found those books so, uh, yeah, affecting, I think is the best word. Like they're just amazing and you can Me just too. be in them. Um, and this one was the same. Like some of the way that I think she um, managed the story, and, again, this isn't really a spoiler because it's literally at the end of the first chapter, but this this pandemic sweeps over the world like so abruptly yep. and so swiftly that it just changes overnight and all these people that are just going about their lives worrying about all the things they're worrying about you know most of them are just basically dead within sort of like three weeks it's just bang and so it's just this all this all the sort of bets are off you sort of just can't quite work out what you're going to be dealing with mm. but I love the way that she um then as you say, kind of decided to focus on different little threads of stories and you weren't sure why you were getting the insights into the different worlds you were getting and then it kind of does all come together at the end in this really, like, impressively ambitious way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I mean, I don't know if this is the, the writer part of me, but I just finished the book and once I got over just, like, the emotional kind of slap of it, I was like, wow, like how did she even sit down and have the ambition to write this epic tale? Like it just yeah. felt so like audacious to have even kind of gone, yeah, I can, I can write a book that's just so symbolic and important. Yeah. And yeah. I was like so impressive. It's like, it's this weird sort of bravery too of like, I'm just going to give you, I'm just going to give you this. That's all you get. You're going to have to wait five chapters until we get back to this story. And I trust that you'll remember this little bit because <laughs> it takes a yeah. while to come back to some story threads and she doesn't, she's very subtle. Like she does set you up yeah. and like, okay, I know who I'm following again. I remember that person now, but it's not in a way that's really overt. Like it's no, you know, there's no, no like chapter heading with the name of the person and the time and, you know, to like all those little writer tricks to get a reader yeah. to engage with a character. She just trusts you to follow threads. And I found myself yeah. sometimes, I don't know whether you did this, but I found myself reading. I'm like, oh, wait, I, I know that person. And I went back and I was like, yes, yeah. that is the person and found the name. Yes. I love that yeah. stuff. I just, I felt like yeah. audacious is a good word for it. Totally. And sort of, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of themes in this book that really I just couldn't kind of get enough of. Like, I do think that there's something to be said, and I have this sometimes when I watch, you know, movies that are sort of end of world, end of days kind of movies. But um, yeah, you know, when when something like this happens in a book that's just so kind of mass, like it's just it's happening to the whole world, no one escapes it. 
you do, it does sort of desensitise you a little bit. Like obviously a lot of people in this book die because pretty much everyone dies. Yeah. But you sort of get to a point where you're like, okay, no longer becomes sad when it's the entire human race. It's funny. It's like when you read a book where one terrible, tragic things happen, you know, you can just be absolutely gutted by whatever that event is and, and everyone in the book's gutted as well and it's just yeah. awful, uh, as it would be in real life too. But there is something weird, I think, that happens when tragedy happens to humans like en masse and it becomes less personal. Mm. <laughs> and so I think you, you, you do then like have the ability to step back and kind of take it in as this human race event and it, and it does sort of seem less sad. Um, but then I think what happens in this book is that you go back then to like, well, when something small happens to the couple of characters that you are following that have managed to sort of survive, you're then really affected by all of the nuances of their tiny little world, even though like they've lost literally like hundreds and thousands of people. You're sort of like, yeah, whatever. And you really get hyper-focused on their little micro tragedy. So it's, it's yes. like a weird system personal from personal to universal kind of relationship that you have with all this death and destruction and mm. they have it well like I find all the characters are sort of like they're sad about everyone that they've lost but then when everyone's lost someone it's like how sad can everyone actually be because yeah it's just we sort of just all of have to get on and do the thing yeah yeah so that I find that I found that kind of like interesting um, and then, I mean, I think there's just like the um, the basic survival of the whole human race and that like crazy enduring spirit, you know, like, yeah. like all these people have lost everyone, they've lost everything, everything's broken, they're basically rebuilding from, from scratch, but they are still showing all of these signs of human spirit and art and culture and it's like, it seems it's nice. Like there is something about the kind of idea that it doesn't matter what happens, people will always come back to these kind of core guiding principles and mm. you can't you can't stamp them out. They're sort of they yeah, are yeah. instinct. That's really cool. yeah, I like that actually. I hadn't thought of it from that angle. Um yeah, I, just going back to something you said, I, I really you're right, like the way that that characters are set up. But then the way the narrative works, because it's non-linear and we, you know, we travel back and we sort of find each individual makeup of each character. And I found her so affecting in the way that she she paints these moments. It's like, like we were talking about before. It's like these fragment little snapshots of real people. They're not, I, whenever you see a, like a real Hollywood production, like if you think about like something like 2012, if you remember that movie, which was about sort of an end of world sort of scenario as well. Every single character they focus on, it feels really large. Like they're part of this really big epic. The camera's moving. But there's all these like little details of character that really make each of these people feel human. Like I thought Arthur, who's the yeah. fir- like the first person who who passes away on stage, I thought that was all I was going to get about Arthur. I thought he was just like mm-hmm. the the patient zero and he was going to die on stage and then spread this virus everywhere. I was like, okay, well, that's all I get on Arthur. But then the rest of the book really hinges on him and his relationship with a bunch of people. I had no clue of that. I thought I was going to be in the, you know, the traveling symphony. I thought a wandering, is it wandering symphony? I thought I was going to be part of them for the rest of the book, but then I'm back with Arthur his first wife and how they met. And I was like, oh, now he's dead. Oh, I don't know. It was like this weird retroactive kind of sympathy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, she managed time in this bizarre way that was, it definitely was pretty disorienting. But at the same time, it was all, it all made sense. And I, and I probably maybe similar to you, like I reckon for the first sort of, quarter of the book I was a bit like oh I don't why are we skipping around like this and like why are we going back in time it doesn't matter it's not like he's he didn't create the virus you know 10 years ago so what's the point of this kind of retrospective story yeah and then the more that you kind of step through it you were like okay right it all sort of threads together but I feel like even if it hadn't have all threaded together because she wrote such great characters and they were so interesting it didn't I didn't even almost care yeah, <laughs> like I, I still agree. just like 
liked the story and the characters that she had kind of created. So, yeah, it's very, that's probably what I mean about the ambition of it. Like it's so, I feel like pitching this story to anyone, you know, someone that's going to give you permission to write it, they'd just be like, that sounds really unnecessarily complicated. Why don't you just write something like about a global pandemic where people have to like, survive and rebuild yeah and she's kind of no 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 like I'll do that but I'm also going to kind of write this incredibly complex web of people their past stories regrets failures it's just I don't know you reckon she went into um, the pitch meeting with like a big whiteboard (laughs) and then like all right now chapter six we're gonna flash back again but it's going to be completely different it'll be a interview recording transcript that happens four years after the pet, but then we're going to go like she can't have right. Yeah, like, I, feel I, like, I feel like she just in, in it's, it's so because it feels planned, like it feels so structured so tightly, but yet I don't know how she would have planned to have those little bits where they fall. Like I feel like she must have just felt like, okay, I need to visit this person again or this part here if I talk about the station 11 graphic novel in this little bit here it will impact this bit yeah that's yeah Yeah. um i've got that you're right the structure it it does the structure is the kicker like i just how you possibly would have um kind of planned it out or even if you don't plan how that would have come to you in any cohesive form i just don't understand like i find that just to be so impressive Mm. Um, and just all of these little bits and pieces of it that have made it this amazing sort of piece of art. How, I don't know, maybe they were accidental, but it just, you're right, it feels it feels at once both like meticulously crafted mm. and also just a giant chaotic accident that everything just luckily kind of fell into place. It's yeah. Really, yeah, it it's makes me think she just like wrote wrote it and it came out, but then... You know, how, you know that they say like you write with your heart and then you edit with your mind, like just writing yeah. it from her, from her heart and then just feeling everything. But then later on, the craft sort of weaving threads and um, yeah. Can we yeah. can we talk about something really quickly? And this is a this is I'm not sure if you coined the term, but you're the one who made me aware of the term. But that idea of gelspiration. <laughs> Do you remember talking yeah. about that? Yeah. So. Gelspiration is something Sarah taught me, but it's about where you feel both jealous and inspired by a work. And do you feel like that about this book? Because I yeah, do. I mean, like I haven't read it since I read it, so um, I I was going to go back and reread it before no, this yeah. conversation, but I ran out of time. Um, but I definitely remember finishing this book at like 11 p.m. one night, you know, just before kind of going to bed and literally closing the last page of the book and just being like I feel completely wrecked by this book, like mm-hmm. it completely wrecked me. And it was weird. It was kind of like that sadness that you get where you're both sad but also um, optimistic. Like it sort of it ends in this way that's neither depressing or hopeful like I don't know yeah, it's just like of, an authentic type of hope where it's like it's got reasonable yeah, it's hope like, yeah just like humans are kind of amazing and awful at the same time yeah and would we really want it any other way because maybe that's just how it is and should always be like it's kind of just really affecting it's the only, I kept yeah. just being and I was I think I was really exhausted by the book as well like I did go to sleep that night and then even in the morning I was a bit like wow like that just really smashed me that story um and weirdly like I'm a real character person like I love characters and I think that's normally why I love a book I don't actually think this book did that like I'm not particularly fond of I mean I quite liked the Arthur storylines and things but it wasn't as if any of the characters really had me kind of completely compelled or that I loved them or hated them or anything really. It was just more the whole the whole world and the whole story mm. was more what I really got into. So it was unusual for me to find a book so um, kind of compelling without having that, like, character connection. But That's I think it was more like... They- I don't think yeah. I think they are. I don't know whether, like, I don't know whether I liked them either. It's interesting that you say that because mm-hmm. I, I think I agree with that. Like, I don't think, 
that I really... When you read a book and you're like, do you really fall in love with the characters and you really champion them and when they're tragic, they you feel their tragedy and stuff? Because I think I'm a bit different than that. I don't, I don't know whether I emotionally connect with necessarily characters, but like what the characters are saying about like life and, and, and reality, I guess. I don't know. That makes no sense at all. No, I think, yeah, I do. I do really like the characters normally. I think like, I think that's probably normally, I mean, like, obviously I like plots and stuff as well. And if I think a storyline's just, you know, killer, I can get really into the plot or the, the twists or the arcs or whatever it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've got some really, like, a really favourite characters, I guess, in in histories of books that I've read. Um, I found this one a little bit like, um, and this is not, like, a, a good comparison in the sense that they're completely different books, but um, it made me think a little bit of Seven Types of Ambiguity. Just, mm, okay. I don't know if you've read that. No, I haven't read Herman, that one. But it's really it's amazing it's an amazing book and it's really different like it's not about a global pandemic at all but there's something in like the um I don't know like the scope of it or something that reminded me a bit of this book and I read that when I was quite young um and there's amazing characters in that book for sure but I don't think on measure I finished the book and it wasn't for the characters that I was kind of missing or impressed by it was sort of just the whole like the structure of the story and I think that's the same as this it felt to me like that whole world and just all of the different ways that that world was presented was what I was just sort of like wow that was just such a ride Mm. um and then yeah I mean of course there's aspects of this book that I think I don't remember the characters but I remember like the um the moments or yeah. like the, yep. the weird little quirks. Like I'm obsessed with the the airport museum mm. um, and the man that was like curating all of the stuff from the before times. And I just think that's so realistic. Like I can just so see that happening. And, you know, obviously we didn't have a global pandemic in quite the same mass destruction way, but there were little pockets of um moments where you know when I was reading this book I was like far out like this is what people do like this is how people act and they almost can't help it like when they think that the world's going to end everyone does this and everyone does that and you know it's sort of just it's it is weird how predictable um it kind of all is so yeah Yeah. I don't know I just thought it was impressive in that in that way yeah um can I ask what your what your thoughts are on um, I'm completely off script, by the way. I've always got questions, but I'm just yeah, anyway. I haven't gone a single question yet out of this whole thing. What, what did you think about? What did you think about the idea of how she fast forwarded the actual pandemic? So Arthur passes away, and then yep. we get a little note that just says everyone in that room is dead within three weeks. And then we see little yep. pockets, and there's like a little chapter where it's like these are the things that are different now: no internet, flights cancelled, etc. But it's almost yeah. nothing. And now I think like if a Hollywood like again 2012, that would just make the whole thing about that disaster. But she almost just like cuts it short just so she could get to what, it, what its effects are on people. And I really admire yeah. that. I was wondering what your thoughts were. Yeah, so I think that was such a like, I don't know if the word's brave, but um, bold sort of choice to kind yeah. of not, revel in the destruction and the aftermath but just kind of go that happens everything's different basically everyone dies future state and it's Mm. just it's it's like you do feel a bit like oh like what what did what exactly happened though like you want to know because I think we're quite like selfish and we kind of go well I want to know like how I would react if that happened and I was one of the survivors and you sort of (laughs) you just feel like you're robbed you're robbed of the whole thing like they basically she's basically like Heaps of stuff happens, but don't worry about that. Right, here we are 20 years later. This is this is the reality now. So, yeah, I mean, you could absolutely write a whole book on the month after the kind of virus hits. And that, I, I just, think, would be amazingly interesting, right? But, I think it could be interesting, yeah. but I like this better. Like, I like, because yeah, I, I, again, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I keep going back to it, but 2012, right, John Cusack, 
the whole focus is on him and getting his family to safety, but it's also focusing on the president and focusing on the people trying yeah. to get the thing and they got to solve the thing. And it's all about preventing the thing from happening. And I just, I like, I feel like it's been yeah. done a little bit. Like I like the idea that it's just, we're looking at a different world or looking at, like you say, this dystopia. And then we're sort of looking at the before and the after, and then, you can sort of chart how people change. And I, I really admired that. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I think as well, um, I think the thing that's really, I don't know if this was intentional, but it definitely I thought about it when I was reading it. Like it's kind of scary but also I guess just realistic that, you know, when something like this comes out of nowhere, it just disrupts everything. So not only the actual world and, you know, the internet and travel and all the logistics, but all these little lives that everyone's running around leading, it's yeah. just bang. And I think I felt like that's why when she would go back in time and really tease out Arthur's story and kind of what happened, like, you know, the 10-year, 15, 20-year version of him before the pandemic hits, you're reading it, like as a reader, you're reading it kind of going, God, none of this matters because you end up dying anyway. Like yes. it's all kind of all who cares? Like, but at the same time, I mean, everyone dies. So everything matters or it doesn't. You kind of can't like choose how you feel about it just because it ends up being a pandemic. But there is this feeling when you're reading it where you just kind of go, my God, he was worried about all these things and all these people around him were worried about all these things. But this thing was this thing was lurking around the corner. Mm. So really, like they should bother with any of it. But like, of course, you have to bother with everything until you don't. Like, it's just, I think it just completely sort of, like, challenges your perception of what's important mm. um, and what matters. Um, and probably, like, my favourite, my favourite, favourite, favourite thing about this book, um, and it's probably my favourite thing because I've actually thought about this before, but this book just totally kind of, um, I guess, articulated it. So for people that haven't read the book, Station Eleven is the name of the novel, but also it's the name of this like comic strip that um, one of the characters creates in the story. Yeah. And I think the thing that I just found, and I won't kind of spoil it all, but I've always thought like what happens if there was this mass, I don't know, accident or something happened, big, big world event. Yeah. And what's left over, the remnants of what's left over happens to be like Harry Potter or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And if that's, if that's the only archaeological kind of thing that's left in full condition and, and is found, would an alien or, you know, whoever happens to find it, the remaining survivors, get this text and go, oh, my God, like is this a history book or is this like <laughs> a, a fiction? Is this someone's diary? Yeah. You know, what is this? And I've kind of, like, I remember having, like, a drunken conversation once kind of being like, you know, would they basically think that Harry Potter was, like, you know, the past? Yeah, yeah. And I guess you could, you know, ask questions about all kinds of texts from the past that that, that relates to and no one knows the answer and that's kind of the beauty of it. But mm -hmm. I really loved how um, this book played around with the kind of concept of, well, what's important? And I guess what's important is what people place importance on. And so if someone thinks something is special and symbolic and important, it is. And, you know, the man at the um, airport museum who's, like, looking after all of these artefacts from the yester world, yesteryear, he's choosing kind of what is he important to him. Yeah. People were storing and restoring yeah. and protecting. It's just really interesting. Like, I sometimes think when, you know, people find archaeological uh artifacts from the past and you think what if someone from back then just looked at it and went oh no we didn't use like that that was just like it's a kid's toy like that wasn't that wasn't yeah. something important yeah yeah um, I don't know it's like it was just a cool kind of twist on um yeah well what's important is just whatever someone thinks is important and yeah and I guess that's like, also in the wandering that. symphony as well right like that's the whole thing like in the yeah. dystopian future we sort of follow this band of wandering minstrels who go around and sort of perform Shakespeare for for civilizations in different towns if they're not getting shot at um and yeah and I think they, the book even mentions like you know what's the point of doing this you know but you know everyone needs these things and and like you say what you put value on 
I really like the thing you were talking about with Arthur too, like how he was such a, yeah. So you, you are tinged with this idea of everything, nothing lasts, right? That's the point. Like that's part of the point of it. Nothing is forever, but it still matters. And it's, yeah, like you say, it matters yes. to the person who's investing their time and their life into this thing. And so it's almost like this beautiful, sad thing that it's not going to last. All your relationships will not will wither and die. I mean, we all will, right? But that means yeah. the actual journey is important too. And you can't just forsake that just because it doesn't last forever. That's cool. Yeah, That's cool. it's it's it may, I mean the Shakespeare thing made me laugh too because it's like bloody Shakespeare just still keeps getting he a run. He never what, dies. Um, Everyone loves him. <laughs> but maybe that's because his stories are just you know universal. I don't know. But um, I think yeah, it's can I stop? Like, so wait, 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 wait. Can I stop you? Just sorry, just hold that thought. Do you like Shakespeare? <laughs> I want to know. I'm interested. Yeah, no, I do. I, think I admire like, Shakespeare, I think- but I'm not. I'm not. I don't like reading Shakespeare. I don't like watching Shakespeare, but I admire Shakespeare. Does that make sense? And it's beautiful. Yeah. I just, I don't enjoy it. It's like I admire jazz. You know, I don't listen to jazz, but I'm like, does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I I would say I do like Shakespeare, like, conceptually and I think thematically. I don't think I enjoy reading it either. Um, but from just that, he's really good with, like, a cracking premise. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think that just the the like the extremes that he lays down from a theme point of view definitely stand the test of time. So I admire that as well, I guess. Yeah, I pay that. I pay uh, that. So, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But um yeah, no, I, I think um I think what you're saying makes heaps of sense too. It's like there's part of you, I think, when you're reading this book where you almost kind of go, God, you know, everything's gone. Like it's literally a dystopian world and these this group of people are like tramping around the countryside, putting themselves at risk just to play music to Yeah, getting shot at. Yeah. yeah. Getting shot at and all kinds of weird stuff happening. And you sort of like go, well, what's the point? Like it just seems so pointless. But then I guess the point is that everything's pointless um, and they've kind of managed to find a little community that, they really enjoy being a part of. It's like a micro version of the world. It keeps them having a purpose and a reason to get up every day and kind of work towards goals. And, you know, that's that's what happens, I guess. Like the world gets destroyed and whoever's left gets back on up again and kind of goes, okay, well, let's plant some vegetables. Let's make sure we can sing and do music and then let's start to kind of expand from there. Like I, I think it just does show like this bizarre instinctive resilience and I think you know at the end of the day like birds you know a nest will get destroyed they'll rebuild the nest they just they don't they don't not rebuild the nest they just keep doing it and I think we're kind of the same um so I I mean I I thought that kind of whole part of the book was just interesting it's like even when there's nothing to sort of I guess live for you you find like a way to rebuild a little community and yeah it's yeah I guess you know, art and music live on no matter what. It's just, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, and I like that too. Like it's where everything everything is meaningless but there's beauty in the meaninglessness and we can find it. I really like that. And, uh, yeah, speaking of resilience and the human spirit and all that sort of stuff is quite a hopeful thing but it is like this type of, and like all the characters, it feels like an authentic type of thing. It's not... It's not like a Hollywood sappy ending where, you know, human oh. beings, like it just feels like, oh, okay, this is the world as it is, but there is some beauty in there and she does it in this way that's really earned, which I really admired. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a real, it's quite a strange ending actually. Like it does have, um, like the last sort of bit of the book does have that sort of traditional um, kind of climatic scene, sort of some resolution, a few things kind of stitched together and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. I see what that was all about. But the actual ending itself is quite kind of nothing. And then I guess that, that's when yeah. you, 
it's very quiet and then you I think you finish the book and you're like oh but I guess that's the point as well is that they'll just carry on yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's kind of you know that book's going to keep going without me because yes. I, I was just an observer anyway like I'm not needed in that story to kind of make the story work it's just it that world just continues it's kind of yeah it's it's um you do like you said before you feel like you're kind of privy to all these little fragments and then suddenly you're just not but you assume that world's just going to kind of tramp on without you and you're like yeah, yeah that's fine yeah, it makes it so real for us um can I talk very quickly? I've, I've done a bit of research on the book. I just thought some interesting things about it. Um, it sold 1.5 million copies worldwide. So it was a huge hit for her. And I think she actually had a trilogy or at least three other books before this one. But this was the one that really blew up, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you know that they're, they've been talking about making a mini series of it on HBO? I did see that. And, and I was, was like... Horrified, but also excited. Yeah. Like I feel a bit nervous with a book like that. I don't know. I feel like this book's pretty epic in scope, um, and I just I'm not sure sometimes like how that would translate in film. But you know, yeah. But plus, also obviously the subject matter nowadays. Like I don't know whether people who, you know, a lot of us are turning to art and entertainment to escape reality are then turning to a global yeah. pandemic. Um, but they actually they announced they announced the series in January of 2020, if you can believe that. Yeah, that's that's close to the bone, isn't it? It's not a great timing. Um, no, but there is a sequel. Uh, well, sorry, it's not a sequel. Um, but the um, I think it's actually a prequel in a weird way because I'm pretty sure that Arthur's first wife that character, the one that ends up on the uh, Thailand beach. Yeah, I've actually forgotten her name. It was like Miranda or it started with an Emily. Yeah. 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 She is in another book that Emily St. John Mandel has written called The Glass Hotel, and I'm pretty sure it's all about her and her um, freight company. Oh. Yeah. Apparently it's amazing as well. I haven't, I haven't actually read it, but I've heard that it's um, – Amazing. She's so interesting. Like, weird premises. Like, yeah, inventive choices, like so creative and interesting. Yeah. Um, totally. So yeah. I've got this quote from her about writing this book, which I thought was really interesting, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because I think it's actually similar to um, your journey to writing The Housemate as well, although I don't know. So this is, again, I'll read out the quote. So she said, <laughs> I start with one thing usually, with all of my books, it's just been one thing. Sometimes it's just kind of a wisp of a premise. And then for Station Eleven, my original idea was partly just to write something really different from my previous three books. So she's written three and she's thought, I'm going to step aside and do something completely off the walls. I felt like I was drifting. Now, I don't know. I don't think this applies to you, but I felt like I was drifting in the direction of crime fiction. I have such respect for what crime writers do but you can get trapped in these marketing categories and it's hard to break out as a writer. And I wanted to do something very different. I'm just really interested because I think for you, you had the three novels and then you've stepped and done, but the housemate's still a crime thriller because that's the main thing that you're interested in. Right. So yeah, I just wanted to hear yeah. your thoughts on that and sort of how that plays into your journey as a writer too. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I think Ben, like, you know, happy to be even somewhat similar to Emily Simpson Mandel. But um, <laughs> no, I think um, it's nice that she said nice things about crime writers because that's not always. They do get thrown under the bus, crime writers. Yeah. Like it's like yeah, it often gets talked down upon. <laughs> like it's not as important for some strange reasons. Yeah. No, that's a, ni that's a nice comment. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think. The thought of this book coming from like a little wisp of a premise is pretty crazy because it feels like it's just so big and complicated that it could it could only ever have been big and complicated. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think I can definitely understand wanting to do something different. It's funny, like I think what happens maybe when you write books is that when you write the first book, you want to write something and like part of what you're trying to do is just write a book, finish the book, prove that you can write a book, um, get it out of your system because you keep thinking about it. And then it's almost like if you manage to do that and then you write others, there's something that starts to like creep in again where you kind of go, oh, yeah, but 
that's not impressive. Like, you know, I've done that. And you sort mm. of almost go back to square one where you, you sort of trick yourself into being like, well, you know, now I've got to actually write something different or everyone will, it's not even like you're worrying about what everyone else thinks, but there's something in, internally I think that you're like, oh, well, I've got to do something new because otherwise I'm not really a good writer anymore. I don't know. Yeah, like it's no, like no, a, okay, yeah. a, not imposter syndrome exactly, but just sort of this feeling of like, well, if I can't do something new, then I, I can't really write properly. Like to be a real writer now, I've got to write something different. I don't know. It's weird. Um. I've got a few other quotes here from her too, if you don't mind, just before we finish up. Um, did you know she started off life as a dancer? I don't know if I knew that for sure, but I maybe I did read an interview about that. And I mean, she's quite young. Like, I'm pretty sure she's, yeah. like, I think she's only like late 30s or something. So yeah, she's, she's, yeah, yeah, she's young. Yeah. Um, but I just thought it was interesting because she said that she started off life as a dancer who sometimes writes. And then she sort of mm. started to think of herself as a dancer and a writer. And then she was a writer who sometimes danced. And then mm. <laughs> she sort of transitioned yeah. that way. Yeah. Um, but do yeah. you think, do you find anything in that? Like, I don't know about you, but I do have other creative hobbies that I enjoy. Do you have anything else creative that you find really sparks things in your writing and, you know, sort of like something else to go to? I mean, you were sort of talking before about stepping out of Gemma's world, well, but then sort of that's reinvigorated you to step back in and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, my, probably my work is, I mean, my work's very like business. My role's very businessy and business and strategy and commercial, I guess. But, um, but I am um, really lucky enough to be in a business that deals with ideas. So I'm always around, um, ideas, you know, advertising ideas, marketing concepts, um, different ways to like present information and package things up and manage like the psychology of how an idea will be received. So I think mm. even though I'm not directly kind of responsible for generating the ideas at work, being around people that I guess are just, yeah, super inspiring, um, I find inspiring. That's cool. Um, and I think like having to constantly judge the way something's going to be processed by whether it's a client or an a, like an actual end audience yeah or a government department like whomever the client stakeholders are like you do have to kind of constantly be trying to see an idea from a different point of view yeah that's um, interesting i'm sure that kind of sparks little bits and pieces off for me mm. but yeah i don't really have like i don't really have like a creative hobby or anything like that um but I do just find my brain will like latch onto little things in podcasts or the news or a TV show. And I'll just, it's not like I'm sort of taking that idea exactly, but it's like that little germ of a thought kind of sparks something. And then three mm. days later, I'll be like, oh, that's a really interesting premise or like that's a really interesting idea. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just that's cool. things around. And yeah, the world's kind of, you know, I guess people are pretty interesting in general. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, and she's also said this, and I was wondering about for you in your process. I don't know whether this applies to you. I know it definitely applies to me. Um, so she was talking with another writer. And um, so this other writer said to her, allow yourself to write badly. And then she said about this, I don't take this literally. I can't imagine making a conscious decision to write badly. But in context, she was talking about the importance of just getting to the end of a first draft. The first draft doesn't have to be perfect. It's just a draft. Once you have it, a beginning, middle and end of the working question, you can start revising. And it's in revisions that the project goes from rough draft to finished work. And I guess that's sort of speaking to what we were talking about before about she just got to the end of it and then she went back through and revised and revised. Is that how you work as well? Yeah, def I think so. I definitely, I don't write deliberately badly either, um, but I definitely think that there's days or, um, you know, phases of the draft process where you're kind of like what you're prioritising isn't perfection. You're prioritising kind of just getting from A to B like getting a character to sort of sort of go from that phase to the next point, it's sort of, yeah, it's more kind of logistics that you're trying to map out. Yeah. Um, even if they're not 
physical logistics, but you're sort of just trying to get all the dots connected um, because you know that once you have that, you can go back and finesse the connection points and work out, you know, which character kind of goes where and what they're eating or whatever. So, yeah, I think you can definitely sort of um, you can, I definitely don't let perfection get in the way of sort of just process and getting the words down because I definitely mm-hmm. think that once you've got the momentum of like a draft, you sort of know there's no turning back. Like I can't imagine having a fully, fully drafted book and giving up on it. Mm. So it's almost like a bit of a ransom deal where you're like, well, if I can get to the bloody draft, then I kind of have to edit the thing and then I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas if you just have like a half-finished manuscript, I think there's a big temptation to just kind of be like, well, maybe it's just not going to work and I'll give up. Yeah, but so, just like pushing yeah. through those awkward little moments where your characters are getting, yeah, for yeah, totally understand yeah. that. Um, yeah. So... To finish up, if you don't mind, thank you for chatting to me about this book and thank you for um, getting me to read it. I've just, this podcast series has been really fun because I've been reading all these books that I don't know whether I would have been aware of before. I mean, it's sort of my secret cheat strategy just to read good books. Um, yeah, it's so good. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, let's just end on like a recommendation of this book. Like what's, if, you, if you're talking to other people who are writers and readers who, you know, the primary audience of this podcast, um, what would you, why would they read this book? Why should this one move to the top of their to-read pile? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I feel like I, I found it to be incredibly different from almost any other book I've ever read. I just thought it it's so difficult to put a label on what genre it is, what style it is. I thought it was weird. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like very um, kind of magical, but without being like actually magical. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really poignant, um, but also like quite pacey. Like I actually had, yeah. I definitely read it, read it quickly and I wanted to find out what happened. Um, so it kind of has all of these weird elements all thrown in together, but I I definitely remember it and I remember the feeling I had when I read it and I like I said I really felt quite like affected by it and spent probably like five days afterwards just a bit sort of as if I'd been drugged or something like it really did make me think differently about a whole bunch of things and maybe maybe because we're in the middle of a the start of our own global pandemic and it was weird to read about someone who'd written this book five years earlier and had seemingly predicted all of these components of it. Um, yeah, I just, I just think it's a really special book. And I think that if you read it, you'll, um, I'd be surprised if you didn't remember it and think that it was a special book as well. I agree. I totally agree. I really loved it. I thought it was, it reminded me of some of my favorite um, like TV shows and movies where, it's snapshots of what felt like real lives and it just felt very authentic to me, even though it's very fantastical. And I, I really, yeah, really enjoyed it. It was a really good book. Um, all right. Well, yeah. thank, thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for having a wine and a beer with me. Cheers. Cheers oh, to the camera. You're welcome. Cheers. I'm looking forward to um, when we can do a proper drink in person. Hopefully, yes. hopefully 2022 will be um, a much more social year. <laughs> I think we're all hoping for the more so yeah, yeah yeah getting out and actually talking to people will be very nice um but yeah. yeah just thank you so much and you know big shout out to words and nerds and danny v who always upload these podcasts and support me and doing these fun little chats with my friends and uh yeah i guess go and buy sarah's book the housemate and read it and review it and do all those things to support her too because I'm sure it's amazing. I haven't read it yet, but it's probably really good. But it's, yeah, it's going <laughs> to, knowing Sarah, it's very, very good. So, um, yeah, thank you again, Sarah. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah, so much for your time. It was really nice to chat about Station 11 with you.